morning. Well, we continue working our way through the different apostles of Jesus, and this week we come to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is only mentioned in two places in Scripture. Both of those are in John's Gospel, once at the start and once at the end. So at the end, uh, he's amongst that group of disciples that after the resurrection of Jesus who've gone away fishing on the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, all we know of him from that account is that he was part of that group that went fishing and it also tells us there that he was from Cana in Galilee. That's all we learn at the end of the gospel. But at the beginning of the gospel, it's quite a different story. Uh, Nathaniel is part of that passage which was read to us by Sharon. And it is a very, very rich passage indeed. Uh, actually, this was the passage which when it was opened up to me by someone else who was teaching the scriptures, this was the passage that really made me just want to get to know my Bible better. So I hope I can do it some justice this morning. Well, Nathaniel is a Hebrew name and it is made up of two words, Nathan, which means gift, and El, which means God. So Nathaniel is literally gift of God. You won't find this name in any of the synoptic gospels so it's not in Matthew, Mark or Luke doesn't appear in any of their lists of the uh, 12 apostles and you won't find it in the list uh, which is part of the book of Acts but you will find another name there the name that you find there is Bartholomew now since the synoptics and Acts use Bartholomew and never Nathaniel, and John uses Nathaniel and never Bartholomew. And since both of these names, Bartholomew and Nathaniel, are almost always associated with Philip, we believe that there's a pretty good chance that they're one and the same person, um, Nathaniel and Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew is a name that we call a patronym. It means it's a name that's derived from someone's father. So in English, we have names like Johnson or Donaldson or the Scottish equivalent MacDonald, which lets everybody know that that is someone who's derived from someone uh, called John or called Donald. And in, things work in much the same way across a number of languages and in Hebrew uh, the prefix bar tells you that this is son of somebody. So Bartholomew is son of, could be Ptolemy which is a, a common Greek name or it could be Talami, could be bar Talami. and if it's Talami then Bartholomew could well be a descendant in the line of King David through his wife Macha, who was the daughter of King Talami. Read about that in Samuel. So we pick up the story here where we have been uh, in meeting many of these apostles down the southern end of the Jordan River at a place called Bethany beyond 
the Jordan. And it's there, you might remember, John the Baptist has been baptising. And you might recall from a few weeks ago, he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. And this resulted in Andrew and another unnamed disciple leaving the discipleship of John the Baptist and going to follow Jesus. And Jesus then invites them to come and see. Andrew then goes and finds his brother Simon Peter and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. Jesus then finds Philip and tells him to follow me. And then we're at this spot today where Philip finds Nathaniel. And as we work our way through today, we will see that the same language reoccurs. Um, Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. And then he invites him to come and see. So it's a very clever passage that's all tied up in the repetition of these three key words. Found, follow, come and see. So as we pick up today, Jesus has decided to leave for Galilee. He's found Philip and he's in, told him to come and follow me. And Philip's gone off and he's found Nathaniel. Now clearly these two, Philip and Nathaniel, knew each other well. They were probably good friends. They could have been some sort of extended family relationship between them, cousins or second cousins, something like that. Or they may have spent some time working together. We don't know. But we do know that they were close. They were close enough for Philip to know that Nathaniel would be interested in this piece of information that they had found the Messiah. Now listen to how Philip puts this announcement to Nathanael. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip pitched this announcement to Nathanael in terms of the law and the prophets. And the fact that he did that tells us a whole lot about Philip and Nathaniel. It tells us that both of them knew their law and the prophets very well. Quite possibly they had studied the law and the prophets together. It tells us that they were interested in the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and therefore they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Perhaps that is what drew them to the wilderness to listen to this strange looking guy who was preaching repentance and testifying about one greater than himself who was yet to come. These were eager students. They were true seekers, watching and waiting for the Messiah to make himself known. Nathaniel's response to Philip's announcement, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
it sounds pretty harsh. But it's perhaps not really all that surprising on a couple of accounts. Firstly, Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles because there were a lot of non-Jewish people living there. But Cana, where Nathaniel came from, was also in Galilee. And it was itself, Cana, quite an unremarkable town also. There was nothing particularly special about Cana. So the presence of large number of Gentiles in and around the area of Nazareth on its own can't really explain the disdain with which Nathaniel holds this place. But some believe that some recent archaeological findings can help to go some way to explaining his views on Nazareth. Just in the last 30 years, which is very recent for some of these discoveries, the remains of what is believed to be quite a large Roman bath complex have been uncovered in Nazareth. And when they were first uncovered, not much attention was paid to them because they believed that they were from a much later period. But beneath that first layer, there was a second layer, which they believe dates back to uh, the Roman times. It's a very large bathing complex. And the reason for its being most likely is believed to be that a large Roman garrison was present in that region of Nazareth. So that's a, like an army base. Because why else would you have a Roman bath unless there was people there that were going to use it? Now, the Jewish people distrusted the Romans who were ruling over them. And so Nazareth might well have worn the reputation of being a town of betrayers. Nazareth would therefore have been to be treated with contempt and distrust. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, in Nathaniel and Philip's lived experience, no, it can't. But aside from their lived experience, as a serious student of scriptures, Nathaniel would not have been expecting the Messiah to come from Nazareth. The prophet Micah said very clearly that Bethlehem was the place from which the Messiah would come. And if Philip had introduced the Messiah as Jesus of Bethlehem, then Nathaniel's response might have been quite different. There is nothing in the Old Testament that specifically states that Jesus would come from Nazareth. Even though in Matthew's gospel account of the early life of Jesus, Matthew specifically states that when the family left after fleeing Egypt, they went on to Nazareth. Why? To fulfill what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. So how do we marry this up? 
Matthew says that the prophets said he would be called a Nazarene, but yet we can't find evidence in the prophets of that particular statement. To be called a Nazarene, as we've just seen, was to be despised. It was to be held in contempt. And the prophets say a whole lot about how Jesus would be despised and would be held in contempt. So Nathaniel's mocking question, can anything good come out of Nazareth, foreshadows this way that Jesus would be treated. He would be mocked and he would be treated with contempt. Now, that's what that reference to Nazareth would have meant to Nathaniel. But as is so often the case in John's Gospel, there are multiple layers of meaning within the text. And for the writer of this Gospel, this twofold repetition of this word Nazareth at this particular point, right at the beginning of the Gospel, is important. The Greek word for Nazareth and in fact, even more so, the Aramaic word for Nazareth sounds very, very much like the Hebrew word for branch. In fact, some have argued that the word Nazareth actually has its root meaning in the Hebrew word branch. So what the Gospel writer is doing here is a very clever play on words. He's introducing Jesus as the long-awaited branch that would spring from the stump of Jesse. Now, the branch that would spring from the stump of Jesse was, of course, in the line of King David, because David was from Jesse. So to be this branch is to be of royal lineage, to be of kingly descent. And this is an important theme that carries right through John's Gospel and it's being very subtly introduced at this point. We're going to come back to it as we work our way through here. Philip's response to this mocking question of Nathaniel is simply... Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And fortunately, Nathaniel was not so blinded by his own prejudice or so full of his own interpretation of scripture as to refuse. Philip takes Nathaniel and they go and see. And as Nathaniel approaches, Jesus exclaims, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now that is an interesting statement on many levels. Firstly, by that time, most people were no longer referring to themselves as Israelites anymore. They were Judeans or they were Galileans. So here Jesus is using an older term and he's applying it then we have to ask ourselves why. Why would he do that? Is, it, is he just old-fashioned and he liked the older term? 
or is there something in that for us? Not only does he call Nathaniel an Israelite, but specifically an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I'm sure all of us would like to be known as someone in whom there is no deceit. At this point, all I'm going to say is that within John's Gospel, there are often two ways or more than two ways of reading a passage. And this particular passage is a prime example of this. There's that surface level reading. Yes, Nathaniel's a good guy. Strictly speaking, yes, he's an Israelite. That's correct. And, you know, Jesus' summation of his character, that he's an honest sort of guy, well, that was true as well. But then beneath the surface, there's often this other layer that the gospel writer has there for anyone who wants to linger in this passage. And that is what I love most about John's gospel. We're going to leave Jesus' description of Nathaniel hanging there for a little bit. We're going to come back to it later uh, because this passage is one of these passages that has lots of layers and we're about to get to the really good middle layer, the creamy bit in the cake. In response to this description of him, Nathaniel wants to know, how does Jesus know him? And Jesus answers, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. To which Nathaniel makes this remarkable declaration. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. We're going to stop here with this one and we're going to unpack this one a little bit. Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree before Philip called to him. So how do we interpret that? Was Jesus just walking along and in the distance he saw Nathanael over there and he was sitting under a fig tree? It's possible. But there's nothing in the gospel that says that Jesus had seen him any earlier. And even if he had... It doesn't really justify that remarkable exclamation uh, of Nathaniel. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You or I could have seen someone under a fig tree. It doesn't make us the son of God or the king of Israel. Does Jesus perhaps mean that in seeing him from a distance, he not only saw him sitting under the fig tree, but he saw him? He saw his character. He was given some insight into his character. Again, that's possible. It's probably a little bit more worthy of Nathaniel's pronouncement. But it doesn't really explain all of it. It doesn't explain the king of Israel part. And why specifically a fig tree? Why mention the fig tree? Why not just say, I saw you sitting over there under a tree? Why a fig tree? Why even mention a tree at all? If this is about Jesus knowing Nathaniel's character, why not just say, Nathaniel, I know your character. There's no deceit in you. 
See, in Israel at that time, the fig tree was a symbol for peace and security. Houses in those days were often small, sometimes a one-room affair. Cooking, if it was done inside, would have created smoke. And a fig tree would have provided respite from the hot heat of the day. And it would have been an ideal place to pray and to meditate and to study scripture. It was a symbol of the peace and the prosperity that characterised the reign of King Solomon. It was the Israelite dream to have a little bit of leisure time, to sit under a fig tree for a while without conflict, without war, to sit in peace and have time, to sit and to study and to discuss the scriptures. And so under the fig tree became synonymous with studying the scriptures because that's what the men would do if they had a little bit of leisure time. They'd sit and debate and study together. Elsewhere in the Bible, fig trees, particularly sitting under fig trees, is associated with waiting for the coming Messiah. And you'll see that in the two prophecies that we have up there from Micah chapter 4 and Zechariah chapter 3. Here in Nathanael was one who was keeping the Israelite dream alive. When the wait for the promised Messiah had seemed endless and maybe even at times hopeless, Nathanael did not give up. He searched the scriptures. He sought to understand them. He wanted to know the law and the prophets and he was looking for the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. And here he was out in the wilderness, a long, long way from home. And he was there almost certainly because he'd heard the message or heard something of the message of John the Baptist. And so he wanted to know more. Could it really be true? Was this John out in the Judean wilderness really the voice crying out in the desert? Because if he was, then salvation was coming soon. And Nathaniel wanted to be part of that. He wanted to be there. And so there he was, sitting under the fig tree. And one mention of fig trees from, Je from Jesus, and Nathaniel knew exactly who he was looking at because Nathaniel knew his scripture. I'm going to zoom in a little bit more on one of those two prophecies, the one from Zechariah, that Nathaniel keen student of the law and the prophets would have been very familiar with. God says that he's going to bring his servant and he calls that servant the branch. Now remember that word Nazareth or Nazarene sounds very much like that Hebrew word branch. Philip has introduced him as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus 
the branch. He's going to remove the sin of the world in a single day and that will usher in a time of peace and prosperity where every man will sit under his vine and his fig tree. And you can almost feel Nathaniel's excitement growing as he thinks about the words that are being said to him and makes connections with the scripture that he knows. A couple of chapters later on in Zechariah, this man, the branch who would be coming, is mentioned again. And here he's described as the one who would build the temple of the Lord. He's the one who would be clothed in majesty and who would sit and who would rule on a throne. The branch would be the king. Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree and Nathaniel gets it. He might well have been earlier in the day actually physically sitting under the fig tree, so the plain sense reading of that verse may well be true. But Jesus also saw him under the tree in that prophetic sense. Here was the branch from Nazareth standing right before Nathanael. The branch would remove the sin of the world in a single day he would build the true temple of the Lord and he would rule on his throne as king forever. The kingdom had come. The king had come. And God's people could expect forevermore to sit under their vine and fig tree. It is hardly any wonder then that Nathaniel bursts out, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now those of you who Know your scriptures as Nathaniel knew his scriptures will recognise where Jesus is taking that imagery from. In the Old Testament, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, laid down to sleep with his head on a rock. And he had a dream. And in that dream he saw a ladder resting on earth with its top stretching up to heaven. And the angels of God were going up and coming down on it. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 28. And now here is Jesus telling this eager student of scripture that the angels will be coming down and going up on him. Jesus himself would be the ladder that would connect heaven and earth. And that brings us full circle all the way back to where we started in this passage because Jacob, the dreamer of that dream, 
about the latter in the Old Testament, Jacob is best known for one thing. Does anyone know what it is? Yep, someone said it over there. He is best known for his deceit. It was Jacob who tried to trick his brother into selling his birthright for a single pot of stew. And it was Jacob, you'll remember, who covered himself with animal skins, hairy animal skins on his arms and the back of his neck so that his aged and nearly blind father would think it was his brother and give him the blessing of the firstborn. But later, after wrestling with God, God gives Jacob a new name, Israel. And those who were descended from him, they would be Israelites. Nathaniel was one such Israelite. But he was not like Jacob, at least not like Jacob in those early days. Remember how Jesus described him? As a true Israelite in whom there was no deceit. Nathaniel knew his scriptures. He was earnestly seeking and he was waiting for the Messiah and he was rewarded with great insight. One simple statement about a fig tree was all that it took for Nathaniel to fully understand who Jesus was and to fully commit to him. Nathaniel actually gets to that point on his first encounter with Jesus. Many of the other disciples took much longer. Still today, Jesus is looking for people who are earnestly seeking him. It doesn't matter your background. Jesus himself was from Nazareth and people did not think much at all about Nazareth. It doesn't matter if you have been raised and, and immersed in the scriptures from birth or whether you're coming in as an adult or an older adult with no background in the scriptures. Jesus is looking for people who will earnestly seek him. He's looking for people who will take time to sit under the fig tree to immerse themselves in scripture, to study the law and the prophets and the rest of the scriptures that we have today. People who will pray, meditate on his word, earnestly search the scriptures and wait upon God. He knows our hearts and he will reward those who earnestly seek him with great depth of insight and with access to God because he is the latter and he still is the latter today connecting heaven and earth. Now there's little else that we know of Nathaniel from scripture aside from this one multi-layered and very rich story. The historical records of the early church have him in Anatolia and Parthia and Egypt and India ministering there. 
However, there are numerous accounts of his martyrdom and so this sort of casts some doubt on some of these historical records. For example, there is a record of his crucifixion, several records of his crucifixion, one of him being flogged to death, one of his being beaten, scourged and dragged through the city before being nailed to the gates of the city or the walls near the gates of the city with Philip, whereupon Philip apparently prayed for Bartholomew's release and Bartholomew was released and lived to preach another day. There is one account of his decapitation, but the account that seems to have stuck or maybe just the one that is so horrifying that nobody can forget it, is of him being skinned alive. And that is how Michelangelo actually depicted him in his work, The Last Judgment, which covers the altar wall in the Sistine Chapel. And my husband wants me to tell you at this point that he actually bought a very large print of this when he was over there and he carried it for six weeks to bring it back and he thought it would be a great present that I would love and, you know, hang above the bed in our bedroom. <laughs> and it went to the op shop. <laughs> I just couldn't have that above the bed in my bedroom. Um, you'll see there in that image Nathaniel is... Uh, depicted at the foot of Christ with a knife in one hand and his own skin in the other hand. That is how one artist has depicted what happened to Nathaniel. Truth is, we don't know for sure what happened to Nathaniel, either in death or during most of his lifetime, except to say that Jesus promised that he would see great things. And undoubtedly he did see great things because God always keeps his promises to true seekers. He said through the prophets, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That was God's message to the exiles in Babylon and it is still his message to us today through Nathaniel. Seek God earnestly and you will find him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many rich layers in this account of Nathaniel's first meeting with you. Lord, may you find us like you found him, a true seeker, a lover of your word, someone waiting on you, someone in whom there was no deceit. Lord, may we nourish your word in our soul. May your way grow in us. Amen. Our final song for today is I Am Not My Own. If you would like to stand, we'll sing together.